We have called the film A Storm Foretold, and what we're referring to was not the storm on the Capitol. It's what I believe Americans are facing now. Hello, and welcome to the interview. I'm Diana Falzone, your host and a senior reporter at Mediate. This week, we have the filmmaker of a buzzy new documentary that has taken central focus in light of the indictments of former President Donald Trump over the scheme to overturn the 2020 election. Christopher Gulbranson is the filmmaker of A Storm Foretold, a new documentary examining Trump political operative Roger Stone and his inner circle in the days leading up to the deadly Capitol riot. Christopher, thank you so much for coming on the show. How are you doing? I'm doing great and thanks, thanks for having us. Of course. So tell us what the doc is about. Well, essentially, I think it's, it's, it's about American democracy in crisis and democracy everywhere in crisis. Uh, and then more specifically, it is about uh, Roger Stone. It's an it's, it's a observational document, documentary where we follow Roger Stone from way back in, in, in 19 until, uh, well, in, until Biden's inauguration. So it includes the whole Stop the Steel movement. How it how it arose, how it came about, and uh, and eventually the attack on January six, and and the efforts afterwards to to for 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 Roger to get away with it, and his efforts to try and get a second pardon from Trump. Mm -hmm. Like you said, it started out being a film that was to capture the MAGA movement that had just swept the United States, and then in real time, you capture the events leading up to the deadly January six Capitol riots. Were you shocked to see integral players in the Trump circle calling for violence over the 2020 election results? I can't say that I was. I mean, when we arrived at the election, I think most Americans and people outside the country that followed uh, the developments had heard pretty much everything. So it wasn't as much the threats and all the bravado going on. It was more to witness it actually being materialized, that they weren't just talking about it and and huffing and puffing about it, but they actually intended to. They actually realized what I, what I can only. I mean, had this take, had I made this documentary in an African country, I would not have hesitated for a moment with calling it an a coup d'état or an attack on democracy. But because it happens in the most powerful and influential modern democracy in the world. I think like many other people, I feel a reluctance for calling it for what it is, but that was what we saw unfolding. And I think that stunned me. And it took some, I mean, when I was in the midst of it, I don't think I realized the gravity as much as I did afterwards. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, it was, it was shocking. As someone who was watching as an American citizen, the events unfolding on the news, it was a, a surreal, terrifying moment for for the United States and for democracy at large. And many times you did see Roger Stone say, let's get to the violence, um, you know, F the voting, get to the violence. There were times in your documentary where he said a lot of things that he kind of passed off, you know, carefully passed off as bravado or joking. But from what you saw, do you do you believe that Roger Stone in any way incited that violence that led up to January 6th? I, I'd rather stay clear of, of, you know, a legal analysis of this because I don't, I don't know, know enough about American legislation about these things. 
what I what I found uh, interesting and 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 concerning and even threatening was not as much Roger Stone saying these things you just quoted, but who he was saying it to. I mean, he was uh, he was saying it to Joe Biggs. He was saying it to Enrique Terrio. These uh, leaders of the Proud Boys were today. I mean, they're facing each of them are facing thirty three years in prison. And he was saying it to these forces that eventually ended up at the forefront of the attack on January 6. When you do these observational films, you spend a lot of time together with the characters. And I spend a lot of time with Roger. And you, you come to, you get to know them really well. And you see the, 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 the good sides to their personalities and, and the more troubling sides to their personalities. And, and, and it, it, can, it can be confusing at times. What really, really struck me was not as much that he said it, but who he said it to and how intensely and systematically he did it. Very interesting. How would you describe Roger Stone? Well, uh, well, I, as I do in the film, I think uh, I spent a very long time describing him and it takes me 101 minutes in the film. So it's really difficult to, to do it here, but he's a complex individual and he's in many ways a surprising person uh, to be around. He has an enormous knowledge and analytical skill when it comes to presidential politics in the, in the United States that goes hand in hand with this more untamed and I would almost say destructive side of him that, that we see in the film. He's a human being. You cannot boil him down into a sentence. I mean, he's he's uh, like the rest of us, full of uh, flaws and, and 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 good character traits as well. I, I really, uh, I'm averse to you know judging people categorically, even mm-hmm. even when they are involved in in yeah, I'd, I'd almost say the overthrow of a legitimate elected government, but you know, know what I mean? I mean, it's, uh, I think it's for other, I think it's for each one to make up their own mind and make their moral judgments. As, as someone who makes films about this, as a, I, I don't want to be deductive. I want to, of course, this is my interpretation of the events I saw, but I really hope that audiences will make their own moral judgments. Does uh- that make sense? It makes complete sense. And like you said, you present a film with Roger Stone as the the main subject. So there's a lot to be taken away from that. Uh, Let the audience make their own decisions. A clip aired on Ari Melber's show from your film. What does that clip, that small clip from your documentary, demonstrate in your opinion of what was happening at that time? Well, it's actually the clip we had the clip in our initial version of the film, but it was simply too difficult to really understand when you saw the film because it needed so much context to make sense. Uh, it's, it's, it's a clip or it's a, it's a situation that's recorded on November 5th. You know, it's nearly two days after election day. We are at his workspace and he's dictating this memo to his assistant. And it pretty much outlines this, this alternate elector scheme or fake elector scheme that it's been called. That is the, you could say, the, the core of the indictments of the, of the indictments against uh, Trump. It was actually a colleague that had seen the material that, that mentioned to me, oh, that could really be of interest to the special 
council's office to get that out because there were some there there of course the idea of the fake elector scheme well, it was not i don't think it's a monolithic approach i think it's a it's come together by a number of voices that pushed this agenda from early on and then it, it accelerated but i think what is really interesting about it is again the timing it's before the election has been called and who is he communicating it till to he's communicating it to his followers that we'll then see in the following days and weeks pressure local legislatures in Georgia and the other battleground states. So in that context, I think it is the first time you can see how it unfolds inside the movement. I mean, that's, you, you, are, you, know, you talk about journalism be the first, being the first draft of history. Here, mm -hmm. I think that what that clip is, you know, witnessing history, as it's not a draft. You, you just, it's a window that opens, and for a little moment, you can see history as it unfolds. Yeah. You mentioned about the clip being something that could be helpful for the special counsel that's looking into what happened um, during during that time in history. Um, I have heard from sources close to your film that Roger Stone is worried about the footage and information you have that has not been released. Why do you think that is? I think anyone, any, anyone who has associates that are facing 33 years in jail that you have worked closely with in the same process would be very concerned. And of course, uh, I think, I mean, it's very important to say my objective is not and has never been to meddle or play any role pro or against uh, a prosecution of Roger Stone. For me, it's an extremely important on a moral level that, that, uh, I keep, I'm keeping my word to Roger Stone in terms of what he accepted to be part of and what I'm doing. On the other side, I'm a filmmaker and a journalist and it's, I publish stuff. I don't sit on stuff, I publish it. Uh, uh, so I kind of lost my thread to your question, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's totally fine. That's totally fine. I think it's, it goes back to you, you really have firsthand knowledge. Oh. Yes. And that you have so yes. much footage. And I have heard from sources close to the film that Roger Stone is apparently worried about what has potentially not been distributed, what is not public knowledge yet. Yeah. And, and, and I understand it. <laughs> and I understand it, particularly when you've been filmed for two years, either you don't have any knowledge about what's actually been captured. I don't think I have, I'm the right one to, to ascertain whether any of the material that we have will get him into any legal trouble. I can't right. say we don't publish for getting people into legal trouble. We publish because we find it relevant and important for the public to see, to make up their own mind make up their own uh, qualified decisions. So, I mean, that's our perspective. I really don't look at it from a legal point mm -hmm. of view in that sense. No, and I, I understand that. You are capturing what's going on in the United States um, during a very divisive time for Americans at large. Was there any time when this footage was coming out or even now that you're doing media interviews that you have ever felt or received any kind of threats or intimidation? Because as we know, uh, it's a very heated, heated uh, time in the United States. No threats that I take serious. 
it's it is a heated time in the United States, but when you enter a political debate, and that's not uniquely in a, in the United States, that's in all modern democracies. Yeah, things get heated, and uh, but there's nothing that concerns of concerns us in that connection right. as right. of yet. <laughs> <laughs> no, and I, I hope not at all because this is no, no. But uh, I think I, I would say when we when we worked in the states, I think people tend to be a little bit too sensitive about so called threats. I mean, mm-hmm. I think sometimes you need to deduct a bit and and uh, not listen only to the words but also to the intentions. So I I really don't want to see ourselves as victims in any way. I, I understand that the mater- the film we are making is a film with very high stakes, and the yes. people who are in the film risk serious repercussions. So, so I think, uh, in all fairness, we should also be patient with the reactions we receive. Mm-hmm. Are you still in contact with Roger Stone? It, has he reached out to you at all, knowing that you're? You're releasing the film. It's 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 available. I mean, is there has there been any communication with Mr. Stone? Uh, no. When we collaborated with the January Six Committee, and when we traveled to DC, and some of our clips were shown at the at the last hearing, he did. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did receive a cease and desist letter from his lawyer, and and he did make some postings, calling all sorts of things and and predicting. Uh, my untimely death. Uh, oh my! So no, and we have, and we, yeah, yeah, but of natural causes, I should insist. But I, so we haven't really communicated since, uh, except from through the lawyers. And to go back, when you mentioned about the January six committee hearings, you went from journalist, documentarian to to eyewitness uh, for for that hearing. Was that uh, a surprising turn of events for you as a filmmaker to then be in that position uh, to have to testify? Yes, it was because I, my approach is, is pretty old school. So it, it took a lot of uh, soul searching to contribute to that uh, committee uh, process. At first, uh, I declined. Uh, but as I saw how it developed, and I have to say, I thought I thought that committee's work uh, was brilliant. Uh, I was surprised about their ability to uh, to have all these witnesses, primarily almost all Republican eyewitnesses, and I think what they managed to disclose was uh, astonishing and extremely important for history. Uh, so eventually, I th- you know, as as a journalist, you have a knee jerk reaction. I wanted to stay in my own lane. I publish, they can do their, their thing on the side, but I simply ran out of serious, I, I couldn't find an argument against showing clips that we had made that were important to have a fact-finding mission about what had happened on January 6th so it could be avoided in the future. That was the mm-hmm. one factor. Another factor was, of course, that I was subpoenaed. And the third factor was that I accepted the premise that it was a bipartisan committee. I think uh, Liz Cheney represents Republican viewpoints. I mean, she has a voting record that is remarkably aligned with Donald Trump's uh, and uh, also Kinsinger. So I accepted uh, the premise that it was a bipartisan committee. So I simply, I couldn't see why not, because the clips came out publicly. They were shown in public and 
the material that it was uh, integrated in was is, is free for everyone to read. And this is not in any way for you to weigh in on uh, the legal aspects of this. It's more mm -hmm. about what you mentioned earlier in our conversation about Roger Stone and who he surrounded himself with in terms of the cast of characters. One of them was a former NYPD police officer, Sal Greco, um, who I believe you have a lot of footage with, with Roger. Um, now, Sal Greco is countersuing uh, the NYPD for wrongful termination. The NYPD let go of him on grounds of associating with a, a convicted uh, criminal, which would be Roger Stone, so that there's some back and forth and that hasn't been resolved yet. But as far as you know, was Sal Greco acting as Roger Stone's personal security guard? Did he wear a badge? Did he carry a gun during January 5th and 6th? First of all, he I, I think it was apparent that he they were friends and he is Roger Stone's friend. And I mean, I think that's, that's uh, whether he was his security guard. I think that's uh, shades of gray. I mean, he was obviously wearing a badge, which you can see in the film, and he's wearing a gun in the film. So, I mean, the film speaks its own clear language in that in, in, in that regard. I mean, it's pretty obvious how they operate yeah. and, and what his role is. Yeah. You can hear I'm um, reluctant to, to jump into it because on a human level, I think it's, uh, it's, 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 uh, it's a tragedy for him to lose his job, of course. Right. Did Joshua James of the Oath Keepers pick up Roger Stone from the airport on, on January 5th? Was that captured by your lens? I don't know who who uh, who picked him up at the airport. We met at the hotel, so so I can't, I couldn't say, but I definitely I saw uh, Joshua James around Roger Stone pretty much all the time, and he was also in Roger Stone's suite as we were filming. Yeah, and and Christopher and I, I don't want to you know push too much, but tell us what you oh, know push about. Along. <laughs> Thank you, uh, Christopher. Tell us about the encrypted friends of Stone chat group. What? What did you see of it firsthand, if you can discuss that? Well, I, I, I can't discuss that. I, I didn't see much, to be honest. Uh, uh, I think my filmmaking partner, Frederick Mabel, who filmed in physicality was closer with all the posting, so he could see it. Uh, and we weren't, uh, you know, as things evolve, when it actually happens, we didn't pay that much a, a t attention to this uh, Friends of Stone group. Mm -hmm. It wasn't until afterwards that we understood the meaning of the role of this uh, signal chat group. So, so to be honest, I, I didn't pay much attention to it at the time. Right, right. And and now we know that some of the members of that group, 47 members, were those from Stop the Steal, Oath Keepers. There were uh, plenty of people who were very much involved in the January 6th Capitol riots. Um, I would say afterwards, it was, it was very interesting to learn. I mean, it was basically the people that were around us and around Roger Stone that were all there. It was Alex Jones, Ali Alexander, key player in the Stop the Steel movement. It was Stuart Rhodes of, of the Oath Keepers. It was Enrique Tarrio of the Proud Boys. It was this, this very long line of people who turned out to be instrumental in, in January 6. And I think one of the most uh, astonishing uh, nuggets of information was that Stuart Rhodes actually posted in the FOS feed during the attack on the Capitol, I think referring to somewhere where there was a door open on, on the side of the, of, of the building. So that level of operational usage, uh, I think, 
in hindsight is tremendously interesting. Yes, yes, it is, because that was a, a, a gathering place for that information mm. to be executed. This film, at this time, there's an upcoming election. This release, why is it important you feel for the American citizen to watch your documentary? Well, I think, I mean, we have called the film A Storm Foretold. And, and what we're referring to was not the storm on the Capitol. It's what I believe Americans are facing now. I think, I think we would be gravely mistaken if we, if we believe that the, that the legal processes that are now uh, opening up against President Trump and, and the other indicted uh, individuals will just uh, go about and not have any uh, repercussions in, as they happen and afterwards. I think, I think Americans should brace themselves for, for a very turbulent time. And this film has actually, literally, it's a mirror, I think, of what we're going to see. What we're going to see this spring and following, I think, will be a nuclear version of what's in this film. Because the first act of the film is Roger Stone going through a similar ordeal, being charged with lying to Congress and threatening a witness to protect Donald Trump. And the efforts he goes to, you know, starting off by intimidating the prosecutor, intimidating the judge, posting an image with a crosshairs in the background, getting one protective order after the other, finally getting a gag order, moving on to zeroing in on the jury members. Eventually, the jury members' identities are leaked by a third party who has somehow gotten a hand on these on these sealed documents, moving on to threaten the with the president even threatening the chairman of the the chairman of what you call yeah the chairperson of the jury, uh, and and then at the finally uh, uh, totally undercutting the the judi the judicial independence of the of of the of the courts. I mean, it was such an undermining of the foundation. Of democracy in the United States, and I think that was only we should see that as an opening salvo for what we are going into now. I think if you see the film and you watch that, I think you can safely multiply it quite a bit, unfortunately, and that is what we are facing. Hmm. So we're in for another storm. Yes, unfortunately, because the reason why it's interesting for for us, the friends of the United States around the world, is that our the, the destiny of modern democ uh, democracies are intrinsically tied to each other. Uh, and, and, and these absurdities, I mean, they have a ripple effect all over the world. Yeah, we see the same tendencies here, but like with a year, with a year delay, at least. Are you, are you going to capture what's happening here in the United States? Are you going to come back and, and film another, another documentary about what's going on here? The elections. Well, I would love to, but but to to be honest, uh, this film was, uh, and I greatly appreciate that 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 was funded by European broadcasters. You cannot fund; it's very 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 difficult to fund mm -hmm. a political film in the United States today. So even though I would love to do a film, particularly about the development in the Republican Party and the Republican Convention, I think it would not be possible to finance it. Oh, that's so disappointing. Um, well, I hope that you'll join us again as, as more unfolds. 
and we can speak more about your film. Um, thank you for your dedication to upholding democracy and uh, and really capturing it through through your eyes. You've you've gone through a lot uh, in order to get this film out. So we appreciate your time. Well, thanks for inviting us. We really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Interview. Please subscribe to The Interview on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And check out coverage of my conversation with Christopher Gilbranson on Mediate.com. Mm-hmm.